Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, how the census asks us about who we are and should it ask about our ethnicity. The latest census data painted a pretty eye-opening picture about how diverse Australia is and it revealed we're more multicultural than ever before. Nearly half of Aussies had a parent born overseas, more than a quarter were themselves born overseas. The new Minister for Immigration says he wants a fresh approach to collecting data on ethnicity in the next census and up until now Aussies haven't been asked about their ethnicity but rather their ancestry and that could all be about to change. Today we're exploring some interesting arguments about the potential ethical fallout of this approach and how it could, some argue, create a racial hierarchy. I think it's a big question for our nation in terms of whether we want the politics of anti-racism, of equality, to focus on the census or whether we have more substantive issues that we want to actually address. That fascinating discussion is in the second half of this episode. It is Thursday, July 14. I'm Katrina Blowers, joined by Rihanna Patrick for today's headlines. PM Anthony Albanese will get down to business at the Pacific Islands Forum in Fiji today. He and 13 other leaders will spend seven hours behind closed doors to thrash out regional issues. Yeah, so some of those issues will be our future nuclear submarine fleet. Uh, That's likely to be discussed because many Pacific Island nations are actually anti-nuclear. Regional unity and security are also on the agenda, along with deep sea mining. Yeah, it's possible the meeting will go smoothly due to the absence of Kiribati, the island nation which decided not to represent itself over a leadership dispute. The last time this retreat happened, former PM Scott Morrison pushed Tonga's PM to tears. At the time, Pacific nations wanted the final communique to take aim at coal use and they wanted a commitment to keep warming under 1.5%. Australia's new climate stance, which targets uh, 43% emissions reduction and 82% renewable energy generation by 2030, has been welcomed by Pacific leaders. So hopefully some juicy things will be discussed at this that really pushes the needle forward in that area. The father of a former choir boy has brought a civil case against Cardinal George Pell and the Catholic Church, according to nine newspapers. It's alleged the choir boy was sexually abused by Pell in Melbourne's St Patrick's Cathedral. Cardinal Pell was found guilty of abusing two teenage choir boys in 1996 and 1997 by a Victorian jury back in 2018, but those convictions were overturned two years later by the High Court and Cardinal Pell was released from prison after more than a year in custody. The father of the choir boy, who is now deceased, has lodged a civil case. It's listed for a directions hearing in the Victorian Supreme Court today. Well, if you're travelling or just being envious of everyone else's Instagram feeds at the moment, I feel like everyone's in the Greek islands that that I follow on Instagram, you'll be interested to know that another vaccine mandate has been dumped. Qantas is removing the vaccination requirement for international passengers. It comes into effect next Tuesday, although Qantas workers will still need to have had their jabs. Earlier this month, the federal government dropped the vaccine requirements for all international visitors entering Australia. Yeah, so Qantas is one of the last remaining airlines to insist on vaccinations. How quickly the world changes. Hey, Rihanna. 
Oh, it surely does. And I don't think my Instagram is looking like yours. (laughs) (laughs) The operators of the Fukushima nuclear plant have been ordered to pay $140 billion in damages following the 2011 disaster. Yeah, so this suit was brought by shareholders and they wanted senior managers to pay up. They argue that the disaster could have been prevented if company bosses had listened to research and carried out preventative measures. Yeah, it's believed to be one of the biggest amounts of compensation ever awarded in a civil lawsuit in Japan. Three of the Fukushima nuclear plant's six reactors were operating when a massive tsunami hit in March 2011. They went into meltdown after their cooling systems failed when waves flooded backup generators. No one was killed directly, but 2,000 people have died in the aftermath due to interruption to medical care, suicide and evacuation stress after 63,000 people were displaced. And uh, the accident was the worst nuclear disaster since Chernobyl. Rihanna, you are a fellow Queenslander. I know there's going to be a lot of gloating people in our state today after the Maroons took down the Blues in a stunning origin decider at Lang Park. Yeah, the Queensland side overcame early injuries and a two-point deficit at half-time to end the decider 22-12. to Anytime you get to finish a, a series here in front of your home fans, it just means that so much more. So we did it in front of our fans, friends and family and against all the odds and it just makes it so special. That's the Queensland captain, Daly Cherry Evans there. The Maroons' Ben Hunt pulling off a spectacular try in the 79th minute to clinch the win. So that's the story on the field. The big story is what happened after the game in the nine coverage. Uh, Rihanna, Blues great Andrew Johns is copying it today. He, he was asked what went wrong after the match and he had this to say. Can you put a finger on where you think it went wrong for you so far? Just those big moments. Yeah. Just the big moments. And now we have to listen to all the bullshit you just go on with for the next 12 months. Yeah. Drives you mad. What do you make of that? I, you know, he's copying it for, for being a spoiled brat and, and petulant and a sore loser. I don't know that it was a great look for him, but there is a lot of emotion that goes on in these games. Oh, completely. And, you know, we, as we know with Origin, the tension's there. And uh, I don't think he's wrong, though. I think we will talk about it for the next 12 months. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. And why not to? All right, Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you later. Up next, Antoinette Latouf is stepping back in for a really interesting conversation about whether the census should ask about our ethnicity. The latest census revealed we are more culturally diverse as a nation than ever before. So, Antoinette Latouf, should the next census include more questions about ethnicity? Uh, We're diving into the pros and cons, which are actually more complicated than you might think. And I know this is something you're really passionate about and you've covered in your book. Yes, it is something I'm super passionate about because I think if we don't know who we are as Australians, then... How do we figure out things in workplaces and pay equity and health and death? Like we even saw with COVID, there were certain ethnic groups more likely to die from COVID. So unless you can measure it, how can you fix it? And last month, the federal government announced it will begin collecting more specific ethnicity data in the next census. And that's a move that's long been called for by experts and multicultural community groups. And they want to be asked more than what's currently asked, which is, 
What language do you speak at home? And if you or a parent were born overseas? Yeah, so this has been applauded by some, but others have reservations and they warn that it could lead to tension if we create what's been dubbed a racial hierarchy. Mohammed Al Khafaji is the CEO of the Federation of Ethnic Community Councils of Australia. Mohammed, thanks for joining us. So, country of birth and language spoken at home, they've historically been the main kind of diversity indicators used by government agencies, including the census. Why do you believe that they're not enough? Look, those uh, two indicators are not enough because uh, a lot of people, their stories is actually more complex than that. I mean, I could be born somewhere uh, in a different country and I speak another language, but that's not what my ancestry or what my ethnic background is. And so those two indicators are not very clear indicators for uh, to measure diversity in Australia. And I think it's time for us to really look at how we best capture who we are as Australians. And why do you think there's been a reluctance to get this data? Because groups like your own and many experts, they've been asking for this for a long time. Why do you think there's been, you know, a bit of a pushback? These questions are very complex because it is not as simple as um, just an indicator, one indicator, like a flag, for example, with Aboriginal Torres Islander communities. It's just a question, are you an Aboriginal Torres Islander, yes or no? For multicultural Australians, it's not as simple as that. We need to collect a number of um, indicators, for example, year of arrival to Australia, like spoken at home, interpreter required, ancestry, and so on and so forth. And when it becomes more than one indicator, it becomes really challenging in terms of collecting that data. And I think for us, we need to explain why we're collecting this data to the person and how this information will be used. Because you can imagine that some of these questions could be sensitive, especially for people who are born overseas or refugees who might come to Australia quite recently. Now, someone who was born in the Middle East was 10 times as likely to have died during the pandemic than someone born in Australia, while those born in Southeast Asia and Southern and Central Asia were around twice as likely to die of COVID. What do you think could have been done differently if we had data on our population during the pandemic? Look, I think if we had data, then we could have directed our efforts and our resources uh, where they would have been needed. I think we know that obviously there is health equity that wasn't there for a lot of um, communities. Um, you mentioned some of the Middle Eastern communities were a lot more likely to die because of COVID. And that's obviously issues around access to accurate, trusted information in a language that they can actually consume and understand. So if we knew that data, if we knew the infection rate or the vaccination rate in, in those communities that were lagging behind, we could have directly intervened and put a lot more effort and a lot more direct intervention to make sure those communities were healthy, um, had the right information and were on par with the general population. And beyond the census, do you think this sort of data should be collected across all government agencies. You know, we've heard just then about, you know, the health system, um, but should it include things like prisons and aged care and even in, in employment places so we know who's doing what jobs? Absolutely. We need a national consistent data collection on cultural diversity all across all government systems and processes because if we don't have that, then I think we're guessing a lot of things as we go forward. What we're saying is 
every government agency should have a standardised way of collecting this data for all Australians. And that makes sure that you have live, correct and accurate data to make sure that you help serve all Australians. Which similar countries to ours um, should we look to for next steps? Like, for example, in the UK, you know, authorities have produced what they call the race disparity audit, which looks at the treatment of people from different backgrounds across a whole bunch of things like education and employment. Is there a country that's kind of, you know, world best practice? Well, comparable countries are countries like Canada, New Zealand, the UK and the US. And I think we can look at those countries to get some inspiration around how they collect their data and how they use their data. If we can learn from how they've done those things and customise it for the Australian context. And I think for that to happen, we need to start that conversation. There have been some concerns raised about the fact that collecting this sort of data is too political and that it will further entrench a a racial hierarchy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, that's a, a real concern out there in the community. For us, as community leaders, as organisations that are advocating for the collection of this data, we need to be very clear in how this is going to benefit our communities and we need to communicate that to everyone in Australia to say this is a good thing. The more that we know about our communities, the better we can reflect the services that is required by our communities and the nuances can actually be fine-tuned. And we can point to other countries like Canada, New Zealand and so on and so forth to say, They've been doing this for a long time and their data has been secure and it's actually been used for for good. And making sure that there is very clear privacy policies around the use of this data for researchers and so on and so forth, I think it's really important. So there is an education piece around this as well. Mohammed Al-Khafaji, CEO of the Federation of Ethnic Communities Council of Australia, very rightly pointing to the fact for these changes to be effective, there needs to be nuance and not everyone agrees on the best way forward. Historian Dr Amrita Mali is a fellow at the Coral Bell School of Asia Pacific Affairs at ANU. Thanks for joining us, Dr Mali. First off, is it ethical to classify the population by what is effectively race? Well, I think it's a it's a good question. I mean, there are lots of different ways to approach the issue, and I know that our proponents for the change talk about censuses in other countries uh, where they basically do that. The American census, you know, is a really good example. People always point to it. It uses categories like ethnicity and race, and actually, what it's done is created some aggregate groups where people are not all happy to be together in that group. So, for example, you know, you have this Asian American category in which some people are doing very well against lots of indicators and some people are really not. And for example, the Hmong group, you know, from from Indochina, and they don't necessarily feel good about being grouped up with others who don't have the same concerns as them. So there are very often within these categories groups that wish they weren't with the rest and they really want to actively differentiate themselves. So what you end up with then is a politics of the census where the data itself and the shaping of the data and the collecting of the data ends up being the political focus. And I think that's an important question of is that the direction that we want to go in? And it already happens to some extent with the ancestry question. And I think it's a big question for our nation in terms of whether we want the politics of anti-racism, of equality, to focus on the census or whether we have more substantive issues uh, that we want to actually address. You're worried that such data will force Australians into a game of competing for better positions within a racial hierarchy rather than solidarity that goes beyond race. 
What do you mean there? If you live in a society that is racially ordered, and and we do, it can become then a priority for people to simply do better within that framework rather than say, look, actually, you know, being racialised is a problem in the first place. It's difficult to argue that, though, having better data on health outcomes um, during COVID, where we saw certain communities disproportionately impacted are more likely to die, or, you know, in, or responding to things like over-incarcerations of particular groups, that data helps policy responses. It helps guide where funding and efforts are geared towards. It can do, but I think it's important to separate the census from some of those other databases that people are quite rightly talking about. So, for example, uh, during COVID, the National Notifiable Diseases Database came up as a problem because it doesn't ask people any questions at all, not even the kinds of questions that the census already asks. So it doesn't ask them country of birth, language spoken at home, or any of those questions that we already use in the census. So it's not that those databases have a problem in that we need to change the term ancestry to the term ethnicity. It actually, the problem is that they don't ask anything at all. That was Dr. Amrita Malhi, who is a fellow at the Coral Bell School of Asia Pacific Affairs at the ANU. What did you make of all of that, Antoinette? Well, Katrina, I do agree that whatever the changes are, it needs to be done well and we've got to look at the UK, the US, Canada and New Zealand and learn from them, see what has or hasn't worked. But I do have to say that consistency is key and I would disagree with Dr Marley that I think you need the census to be the central point by which other agencies like health agencies or the criminal justice system can then have a baseline point to compare their data. I just think we in the first instance need to know the richness of who we are And Australia's changed so much in the last 30 years since those questions and categories were decided on and we need to catch up. In the advocacy work I do, people of colour that I speak to, one of the things I often hear is that they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be counted. And I think if we look at the Indigenous experience and the efforts to close the gap, we need data on health and education and incarceration. And sometimes it's uncomfortable and confronting But we need to know the ways in which our society isn't functioning well, because then how else do you measure if policies are working and the spending is working if those figures don't shift? So, yeah, look, I don't envy the task of those who have to come up with this, but I do agree change is needed. And tomorrow on The Briefing, Elon Musk versus Twitter. Listener.